Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast. I am here with my regular co-hostess, Charlie Prangley, and my partner in crime on the ConvertKit side of things, Henry Tong, who is our guest today. How's everyone doing? Really good. Yay, Henry. <laughs> yeah. This is a vibe. I'm into this. This is such a different environment to be talking to you both in. I, <laughs> yeah, we talk in meetings all the time, but we don't normally talk when like hundreds of people are going to hear our conversation. So yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is good. Let's go ahead and kick us off today with our favorite segment of Have You Heard? I wanted to share that one of our I'm a Creator films that Henry produced, filmed, created, was nominated for a Telly Award, which is very exciting. Voting is closed now, so me announcing this is like not really helping anybody, but I'm just really proud of it and I wanted to share that fact and I'm looking forward to hearing if we like placed anywhere with it because it's cool that content that we make as a company can get recognized in that way, you know, and it just speaks to the quality of the the work that Henry does. And also to pat my own back a little bit, we're an honoree in the Webby Awards for the website that the I'm a Creator stories and films live on. So that's some cool things I wanted to share. Like, yeah. Something to highlight about this. Okay. Just, <laughs> this is just like off the top of my head. This is also the first time that we have submitted work for this. Mm -hmm. So think of all the times. So to be honored for it for the very first time that we've submitted, it says something. Two different awards. Yeah. Two different awards. But it also says like, why didn't we, we've been making this content for a while. Why have we not done this before? So that's like a, you know, it's just a highlight. You should submit your stuff. Like, right. Yeah. Be proud of your stuff. Be proud of your Mm -hmm. stuff. I used to do a lot of that. And I think I'm just like tied up in like actually making it now. So much. I don't even think about it anymore. So we got to, yeah think about that a lot because that's how I started my career. So it's a good idea. Yeah. I have two brief ones and we have talked about the first one several (laughs) times already. And, you know, we all know that I'm not a Twittery or a Twitterette. Like, I don't know what you call them, you know? Yeah. Not that. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe that's a new thing, but apparently it's official that Elon Musk is actually the new owner of Twitter. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, I know, right? So, like, I, I, uh, we have a Slack channel on our team, and it's like Creator News, and I didn't even see this information until I went in there, and and Miguel actually, who's not joining us today because he wasn't feeling well, posted and he said it's happening, you know. And so we've all been talking about this for a few weeks, and it officially happened. So if you are like me, living under a rock in the Twitter sphere, Elon Musk officially is the primary shareholder and owner of Twitter at this point. It's like watching Succession play out. Yeah, pretty much. It remains to be seen what changes is going to happen to Twitter as a result of this. But I'm I'm going to bet right now that I will be bringing this up again in future episodes when stuff does start <laughs> happening. <laughs> we all know how much I care about Twitter. As a Twitterette, she will be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other one I have, which is really brief, and I, I think there'll be more times than not that we continue to bring this up because it's really important, but a creator is on the cover of Rolling Stones. And that just cements the idea, or not even cements, it's not even an idea, but just cements how important the creator economy is and how the world is changing to adopt creators into a kind of this more widely known ecosystem that we have. And it's more mainstream. Exactly. More mainstream. So go check that out. I think it's cool. The more support that we can show uh, Rolling Stone as a result of a creator being on, it's kind of like show the power of the creative creators um, out there in the creator economy, content creators specifically. 
that's pretty cool. Go show show some support there. Henry, what do you got for us? I'll follow in Nathan's footsteps and bring bring my own update to this situation. I was just fascinated to see like talk about acquisitions. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery bought CNN and uh, canceled their CNN Plus streaming service like a month after it launched. Wow. I think they put a lot of money into that launch, like I think close to 100 mil, if not 100 mil. And literally a month later, it was canceled because the acquisition, you know, the company was acquired by Warner Discovery. And um, it's just such an, I don't know what the takeaway is from it, but it's an interesting pivot. But uh, at the time, like in that one month that CNN Plus was going, I think they were only getting like 10,000 views or users a day, which is like not not a lot for a for a streaming service. A mere drop in Netflix's bucket, that's for sure. <laughs> mm. But I mean, Netflix as well is talking about you know changing their business model, adding ads because they had like not a great quarter one. Uh, they lost a lot of subscribers, so it's interesting to see what's going on in that video streaming world. Lots of things, lots of things. Cool. Well, I'm excited to move on. <laughs> I mean, I love our "Have You Heard" segment, but uh, I'm excited to move on to the meat of this episode because. Many of you guys have heard me talk about Henry. He's my partner in crime on Creator Sessions. We've done a lot of work together. We've got to travel quite a bit together and um, produce really good work. And so I'm just a big Henry fan. And we're here talking with Henry about making videos for YouTube. And this conversation can go a lot of different places because Henry both does that for ConvertKit, right? So we do, he does everything for I Am A Creator, obviously lots of stuff for Creator Sessions, but I'd love Henry for you to talk a little bit more about the creator side of your right. Like you, yeah. you work for ConvertKit, but I want to hear more about Henry Tong, your journey, how you got to where you are, kind of what your project was, how you built a series and premiered it on YouTube, things that you learned. So let's go ahead and start with a bio for everyone that does not know you or know what you have done in the past. Share away. Sure. Yeah. So I took media studies as a class in high school in 10th grade as a class that I thought I could slack off in, but it ended up being like a, a really, really wholesome sort of thing. I really enjoyed it. I made some films there in high school that I submitted into film festivals. I would make like a film as part of an assignment and submit it to a festival and be fortunate enough to like, you know, place in that festival. And I, I just used that to keep like Amazing. climbing. Ended up in the US in senior year and made a lot of connections and friends that have sort of lasted till today. Right after high school, I started making a series about other artists because I found that the creative process of other creative practitioners and, you know, their like work was the most interesting to me. I was very drawn to like movies like Whiplash or La La Land or The Artist about art or documentaries as well. And I chose documentary because it's like the easiest format to make alone. I, I usually up till recently have worked mostly alone because I'm a bit of a control freak. Uh, and also like, I know what I can do. I can rely on myself kind of thing. And documentaries are one of the only genres of film that you can kind of make on your own and for a quite a small budget too. So I decided I was going to make documentaries about artists. Started in Australia, which is where I am from, by making short docs that went onto YouTube as part of a series called Makers Who Inspire. I would like ask friends of mine who I knew were artists and we would make like one, two, two to five minute documentaries that go straight onto YouTube. And I was very much following that Casey Neistat school of thought of like, just get the stuff out there, set yourself, like commit to like a schedule. Not that, you know, like at the time, no one was like watching for new uploads every whatever, but I said, I was going to put up a new film every week. And so it really put a fire under my ass and was like, 
a good motivator to get it made and done and out there. So some of the stuff isn't like the best quality. I would say a lot of it is still holds up in my opinion, but it's interesting to sort of go back and look at that growth in my filmmaking ability. So yeah, I would just make these films with every successive one that I made, I would be able to get bigger artists because I had bigger body of work that they could look at. By the time I finished, I was making films about American and Australian artists here in New York and LA because I would find excuses to come to the States to <laughs> film stuff. And also my last season was profiling a lot of Asian Australian artists who are big in Australia as well as here in America who have very interesting stories. And that sort of led into me um, getting introduced to ConvertKit and working working here. How long did you stick with the w- producing a film weekly for? I think like first two seasons was weekly. They were 10 episodes each. And I realized that wasn't quite sustainable. So I ended up, that season was like every fortnight, every two weeks. And then the last one was like every month. <laughs> I just say, okay, I just love that that term, fortnight, because <laughs> bi-monthly, bi-weekly, it doesn't make sense. Mm. And you know where I just, you know, this is a hard left turn here, but I think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> I actually learned about the word fortnight on Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I remember the episode where I learned it and I was like, that's the best word ever right? Like, because bi-monthly and bi-weekly do not make sense. No, they so don't. So I just no. wanted to call that out, Henry. Like, obviously we talked about is from Australia, but it's America just like says weird things, right? Charlie, do you say Fortnite? <laughs> yeah. Everyone in the English speaking world, apart from the US does, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Same with the way we do our dates. <laughs> I know this is a weird call it, but I'm sorry. It's, I find it to be like just the coolest word as the, you know, as the not the only American on this call. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Let's change culture one step at a time. Because when I joined ConvertKit, it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're getting paid bi-monthly. I'm like, does that mean we get paid like every two months? Every two months? <laughs> yeah. It's like, can I be paid more than that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bi-weekly is also confusing, too, because that's like twice a week or yeah. every other week. I don't I don't get it. Fortnightly just makes sense. So by the last season, the fourth one, I uh, was making, I was releasing them every month because it gave me more sort of time and there was more going into it and they were longer by that point. So, yeah. Mm. And that's how we found you, right? We found you through that Makers Who Inspire series in the the work you were doing. It's what we wanted to produce as a company as well, right? Telling that sort of stories at that quality level. Yeah. Your films were one of the examples we pulled us like, we want to make stuff like this. So then we were like, could we just get the guy who made this then? That'd be great. <laughs> I wanted to move to the States. It all lined up. And here is how it all connects too, because one of the people that I met in uh, my first trip to the US during senior year for those festivals during high school uh, became a mentor of mine and is also a mentor of Isa, who works like she produces I'm a Creator, which we were just talking about. And I still work with Isa, but I think it's through him. Well, she already had some of my films on her list, but she just mentioned it to him to get, you know, his take because he makes films. And he was like, oh, I know this guy. And it turned out it was like the same. It was me, the one who made those films that are already on her list. So that's how it all like connects together. Such a small world. It is a small world. And also, this is a great example of how creating stuff and putting it out there into the world mm-hmm. can get you things that like, maybe you weren't looking for the opportunity to work for ConvertKit, right? Like, I don't think you'd heard of us before you we, we reached out to you. No. But... We found you through the films. Your work that you put out there as a creator was your portfolio and it can get you opportunities like at times you don't expect as well. 
I love that. Yeah. And like it echoes something that I've heard from one of my friends who I actually met because I made a film about him. The, the series I used to, I mean, even the ones that I make now are great because it's just, it's like an excuse to get to talk to these amazing creators and learn from them. But what he always said was like, you never know who's watching, right? The stuff that you mm -hmm. put out, even if you're only getting like a thousand views, you just never know who's watching. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was right. Uh, he was right about a lot of things, but that was de definitely something that helped me sort of keep making stuff when I was in a low point. Yeah. We have a question in a chat. I'm just going to call this up because I think this is a good place to start. But Bryce threw this out and he was saying that he was excited for the conversation because he's looking to leave uh, TV production and move into YouTube and document documentary production. And we asked if he had a specific question and he threw this out there. Uh, when trying to build an audience, is releasing monthly on YouTube enough or is the weekly schedule... Is, oh my gosh, I cannot read today. Or is the weekly schedule essential to start? And then he said, maybe overthinking it. And I guess my first question back to you, Bryce, is when looking to release weekly, like what, what type of content do you feel like you would need to release weekly? Are you looking to release documentary type of content weekly? Because I think that answers the, the question, we would answer it differently depending on the type of content that you want to release, because it's a lot easier to release like vlog, right? Type content weekly than it would be to release something that's more of, you know, documentary style. So I don't know. Henry, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know when it comes to the algorithm, it's so dangerous to like play to the algorithm because it's always changing and it's kind of like you just yeah. to start out, obviously like more consistent is better with any type of social media. But in the end, it's like, you've got to prioritize the quality of the stuff. So if it suits the content to put it out weekly, like if you're recording, I don't know, like a live music session every week, and it doesn't take that much work to produce, then that's a great thing. But if you're making documentaries and you prioritize the cinematography and the editing, that takes time. So you either have to like start making it like four months in advance and have it ready to go or just commit to a bit more of a of a monthly schedule of fortnightly, as we say. But it's also similar to like this sort of question about like whether shorter or longer content is better, right? We talked about this slightly before the call or before this um, this podcast started. And like, it's all depends on like what you're trying to achieve. Like the longer form content always ends up being sort of better for audience experience. So there's a lot of factors that influence like your decision-making. It's what do you want to achieve with it and who do you want to reach? Yeah. And what do you want the audience to get out of it too, right? Mm -hmm. Like what someone gets out of watching an I'm a creator documentary that's about 20 minutes long is so much more in depth. Is going to going to have so much more impact on mm -hmm. the viewer than if you were like just telling a two minute version of that creator's story, you wouldn't be able to dig deep enough. Um, yeah. Of course there'd be elements that would be useful, but yeah. That's what I was going to say building fans, I think longer mm. form content is better for building fans, right? And creating an like a dedicated audience that's actually like really committed to the work that you're doing. And I think short form content is good at engaging people quickly and getting them introduced to maybe something that you're doing, but it's certainly not going to create like a a mega fan the way that long form content can do that. Mm. Unless I would say you're doing comedy because comedy works so well in short form, <laughs> mm. but I can't think of any other creative type mm. where short form is better for, for audience like affinity and like feeling that connection yeah. than long form. Bryce, I'd love to hear what kind of documentary um, work you'd like to release. That'd be interesting too. Yeah. Tell us in the chat. All right, Henry, what other little tips and tricks? Obviously, there's a lot of crossover between the work that we do at ConvertKit mm. because it's very similar to the work that you've done for your creator series. But what other tips and tricks have you learned over the last, let's say, two years on like 
titles or things that engage and help organic traffic? Yeah, I think um, I've paid a lot more attention to the YouTube algorithm once I started working with you guys at ConvertKit than I did when I was making my own stuff. And interesting learnings from the last couple of years, last year and a half has been like the importance of the written stuff that goes into the uploads, whether that's like tags, captions, descriptions, titles, anything that's written. Mm. Because I learned recently that YouTube uses its own like software and algorithm to scan the video, both like visually, you know, orally, like audio, as well as um, any text that you might have on the thing. So if you've gone and put like crazy tags that have nothing to do with the video in the tags or like in the description, Apparently, I realized like YouTube actually now knows, like they can look at that and be like, no, there's nothing like that doesn't align. Look at the captions that's auto-generated normally, but you can sort of like create your own captions to make sure that it's accurate. And if they see there's no alignment there, then it's uh, that sort of affects the way that it serves the content to the viewers in terms of an SEO perspective. So that was very interesting. So ever since we learned that we've put a lot of time into, I've always put time into descriptions and tags and stuff, but especially now, I think we've put a lot of time into getting proper captions done for these YouTube videos. Also, the uh, watch time and comments are the most sort of important thing for the YouTube algorithm, When in, especially in comparison to likes and views. Everyone looks for like views, especially it, it sort of does make an impact, but YouTube wants to see people are engaged. So th they look at the watch time more than the views to see how long people watch for. And then they look at comments over the likes because the comments are... Um, take more time, you know, to type out as opposed to like, like just more intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even now I noticed recently I'm, I'm on YouTube all the time. I don't even want to look at that graph that they have to see how much time that I'm watching on YouTube, but like watching videos in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if this is the same for you guys where you live, but it's kind of harder to find the number of views and even the date that the video was uploaded and stuff. They're trying to like reduce. Yeah. They changed the description box design, didn't they? Yes, mm. they have. So it's prioritizing sort of different stuff. And I think that's a sign for creators to take as well. But I could serve this question right back to Charlie. I mean, Charlie, we haven't talked about it yet, but Charlie is a YouTuber and has more subscribers than I do and has been at it for longer than I have. <laughs> what do you think about this? Yes, but maybe he doesn't make um, videos at quite the same quality level as you do, Henry. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's the same platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that your point about watch time is interesting because going back to long form versus short form, to get the same watch time, right? To get 10 minutes of watch time, mm. say, for example, you can either have someone be super engaged in a 10-minute video and watch it all, or you have to get 10 people to watch a one-minute short video that you put up. Like, you need more volume to get watch time mm. with shorter content. But if you do, like, good longer form stuff, then I think the watch time comes more naturally. I think also finding the sweet spot for the length, like what is long form content? Yeah. Do we actually know what a what the exact- How long is too long? Yeah. What exactly is the time frame for long form? Like what do we consider? Does, this, does the world consider long form content? Like what, 10 to and minutes to an hour, right? Like what, what actually is the, the minimum that's considered long form? But hmm. the reason I bring this up is because you have to figure out what the sweet spot is for your content. So like for I'm a creator videos, for example, they are somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. They usually don't exceed that. Henry, correct me if I'm wrong, but for a watch time getting 50% view, like, you know, length of viewership on a 20 minute long video is really high, right? Even getting 30% yes. is really high. We average on creator sessions somewhere around 30 to 35%. Yeah. And our videos can be 30 to 40 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, that might be too long, right? So would we get, uh, the question is, 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 would it be better if we had videos that were, you know, 20 to 
30 minutes long and our length of viewership was 50% versus 30% for the algorithm. So that's a question that we obviously want to answer internally. But all that said, you got to find the right the right length for your videos that increases the percentage of length of viewership. So versus just the, the watch time of 10 minutes, right? Yeah. And I think as with every social media platform, you got to like think about it as more of um, a partnership with that company. Like what can you do with your content to mm. keep people on their site mm-hmm. for longer? Because in the end, like YouTube just wants people to stay on there forever or like Netflix, Instagram, whatever. So tying it back to this watch time stuff, you know, like 10 minutes is generally amount the amount of time that it takes for a video to have an ad in the middle of it. And YouTube wants to put ads in videos, right? So that's why I would definitely think that's one of the big reasons why they would prioritize longer form content over 10 minutes and serve that to people. And they have been because you can squeeze more ads into that. I love what you just said then about it being a partnership with the platform that you're on. I've never considered it that way before. But it really is when like we talk all the time at ConvertKit about owning the access to your audience versus renting the platform that you're gathering your audience on. Yeah. And anytime you're renting your audience on a platform, it's going to be a partnership. Like you don't get to have your way and you've got to make decisions like you're going to be better served if you make decisions that also serve the platform you're renting from. Yeah, I like that framing, Henry. Hmm. Yeah. I've got some smart ideas every now and then. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Henry, I'd really like to hear from you. And I'm kind of leaning into this question from or comment more from Bryce again. But I'd love to hear more from you on on maintaining like healthy boundaries between your personal Mm. work and the work that you do with ConvertKit. And then also just some things that you've like transparently had to navigate when prioritizing the two, like managing your side hustle and then also having a full-time gig. Because the reality is, is that that's where a lot of people are at, right? They have a full-time work um, that pays the bills and then they're trying to turn their side hustle into a full-time thing. And you were a little bit opposite, right? You always started out as a contractor and you were doing contractor work and you were running your own business and then you got into full-time work and now you're having to supplement or you're trying to figure out kind of what the right niche is or what you want to be working on on the side since you're no longer producing the creator series as consistently as you were in the past. What have been some lessons that you've learned there over the years? Over the years as in, so specifically right now, working through ConvertKit and balancing that with side hustles or like in the past as well, because- They're both. Yeah. Well, in the past, like the reason I started the Who Inspire series was honestly because I was like sick of, I was doing a lot of wedding videos. That's how Mm. a lot of people start out, you know, and especially in Australia where there's a lot of wineries. If I never go to another wedding at a winery, I'll be happy. (laughs) It's uh, such a, it's the same thing over and over again. But anyway, I was getting sick of doing all of that. And I was like, what inspires me? Makers. Yeah. That's why I started making the series because it legitimately, yeah, because Mm. I needed to scratch that itch. So I was finding that fulfillment outside of the work that I was doing. And as with everything in the creative industry, the stuff that you make, the body of work that you build is en- ends up being the type of stuff that you get hired to do, which is it, clearly what has happened with me working here. So that was very advantageous from a career perspective. That was not the intention that I went in with that, but it ended up being that way, which was great. It was easier, I would say, in the past to draw that line in work and personal because it was so different. You know, especially in Australia, the type of work that I was doing was nothing like the type of work I can get here. Here now it becomes a little bit more complicated because the type of work that I kind of want to do is also the type of work that I'm doing, but there's also this other work outside of ConvertKit. And then it also gets a little bit like interesting with uh, 
I don't know, like, cause I meet so many people through the work with ConvertKit, but some sometimes there's projects that they want to do that doesn't allow something that ConvertKit is doing or has nothing to do with ConvertKit. So they'll ask me to do it with them. And I love to do that. So the issue then becomes like finding the time, budgeting the time. I've always been very good at planning my time out. You should see his spreadsheets. It's a <laughs> real thing. And his to-do list. Down to the second, I am telling you. I've never met somebody who has such a right and left brain, like who can be so creative, but then also has like who <laughs> just the spreadsheets, man. It is impressive. That's yeah. been very helpful at planning like and I've not I'm still not like very the best at it, but I'm learning and I'm better now than I was a year ago. But it's a lot of time and budgeting. But I'm very lucky because you know, ConvertKit is not like other companies. And it was the question I asked when I was asked to join full time was would I be able to work on other stuff? Because I have been offered um a full time gig before and they were like, No, you can only work for us and blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, nah, all right, peace, see ya, not doing that. Yeah. But ConvertKit is so great because it encourages people to the team members to do their own stuff to say shop for um, what we're doing at ConvertKit because everyone is some form of creator at ConvertKit. So mm-hmm. they all understand like that it's important to be able to scratch that itch to stay shop. So I have so much support from my full-time gig that I don't even know if I can give like good advice to people who have to juggle it with employers who might not necessarily be Mm. into that because I don't, I'm not in that situation. Well, maybe talk about, I mean, like the transparency, like I know this personally, because we talk about this all the time, but your documentary that you're maybe slightly stagnant on, like you haven't been working on a ton, but you worked on a documentary right through the pandemic and you have so much work put into it. But I mean, oftentimes that's, the reality of what creators are facing, right? Is the struggle between creating their personal work and also navigating the work that they're doing that realistically pays the bills right now. So what have been some lessons or some, you know, some like, like I said, transparent or hard lessons that you've had to learn with that and share a little bit about that documentary and kind of what you've been doing, what you had done for that so far. Oh yeah. So I was making a documentary documenting like my experiences through COVID in New York at the start, but through the lens of all of these friends of mine who are artists. And so I was like following them along through the pandemic and how how the pandemic affected their creative practice. And it was kind of easy at the beginning to, to find time to shoot that because we were not filming, you know, during mm. COVID, like ConvertKit stuff was just for me purely editing. So I had the time to go out and, and do both. But as like, you know, we started filming last year and stuff, I um, found it harder to find the time that's where the time budgeting came in and having communication with, you know, with you, Charlie, as creative director to be like, hey, I think I'm going to go out to this thing for my doc. And having that open line of communication to to be on the same page about that had to come into the come into play. But it was hard, right? Like uh, I ended up finding feeling like I just didn't have enough time to do either. And then felt like I wasn't doing either well because I didn't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've at this point, put that documentary on hold, not so much for that reason, more because like, I'm not in the place to be able to like finish that. Still, I don't have the perspective, like tell a story, I think that is so close to home still. So it's on ice for now, but it was, it was tough. How did you get to that point though? How did you get to the point where you decided, okay, I'm going to put this project on ice because of X, Y, and yeah. Yeah. How did you know it was time? And not to keep pushing through. Because it was just too much resistance. It felt like felt like so much of an effort to keep going back to that documentary, editing it because of the time, but also more because like how many times can I go and rewatch like footage from 2020 when there are like bodies and morgues outside like hospitals and Ooh. stuff. It like damages your mental health, right? So it became very clear that I was not enjoying working on it anymore. 
And actually, the counter to that was I was finding myself really enjoying what we were doing at ConvertKit a hell of a lot more. And I'm like, oh, I was like hyped to go out and film these singers and artists and like, you know, spend two weeks in LA with Isa doing I'm a Creator and like a day shooting three creator sessions. That was sort of like the place when I knew like, mm, maybe I should wind this down for the time being. But yeah, that's sort of still an ongoing story. So I don't know whether I have like a bow to tie it up in. Yeah, no. What I'm hearing in this though, Henry, is that you're managing your energy, right? Because being a creator is all about that creative energy and where you're putting it. And so you're making decisions about like, where do I want to put this? And like, where am I pulling that energy from Mm. as well? And I totally hear you on it. The reason that I don't do design freelance work is because I design for my job. And I know that if I did it on the side as well, it'd be too much. And I'd be like, I'm sick of design. Let me do something else instead. And it's also why I don't like to make a lot of YouTube videos and things for ConvertKit because that's what I do on the side. Mm. And so I want to like, yeah, be putting my energy and pulling from different places. Separation of church and state. (laughs) If you want to call it that. I'm not sure which is the church, which is the state in this situation. (laughs) That's true though. I mean, that's something I did learn from this whole experience. And I talked about this with the mentor of Isa and, and mine that connected us that I met when I came. His name's Don. He produced Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, a lot of Disney movies. Just casually. <laughs> Just casually. No big deal. Both Isa and I caught up with him when we um, were in LA last year. And I brought this up and he was like, you know, because he paints and he's a beautiful painter. I'm still, if he ends up listening to this, I'm still like trying to convince him to sell me one of his paintings. But um. He paints and he's, he's great. And that's why he says, that's why I paint. Like I don't make films on the side because that's what I do mm. for work, right? It's a different thing to keep those juices flowing. So that's sort of something that I'm taking into consideration now too. I've really gotten into film photography and I'm kind of glad that it's not yet fully, it's not like this big as a, a thing that I do for work. I don't really even do it for work. It's kind of like a nice outlet. You've volunteered it sometimes, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's assigning you that task, which is nice. Exactly. Yeah. Charlie, what are some things that you've learned as far as going kind of circling back to short form versus long form? I know we've talked about this a bunch of times, but what are some like practical tips that you could share from your side hustle? Versus short form and long form, definitely I would say try it as a number one tip. Like Mm -hmm. short form content, if we're talking about being in partnership with the platforms, right? On Instagram, fucking loves short term. Sorry, my turn for next one. First drop. Instagram. Fucking love short form video. Mm. TikTok, obviously that's all it is. YouTube as well is like trying to get in on that. And so you can sort of like feed the algorithm with some shorts. Yeah. So that's what I've done. But I found that I honestly just don't enjoy creating short form content as much as I enjoy creating long form. I think I'm just a long form kind of gal, but you do owe it to yourself to try and to like figure out, is there a version of this that could feel good for me and could feel true to me, Yeah, which is something I'm still still working through. Do you have like an algorithm yourself or like a, a strategic plan yourself for how many videos that you put out that are in a, like your content calendar for that are short form videos versus long, your longer stuff? How many, like, what does your schedule look like for all the videos that you're mm-hmm. dropping weekly and how do they all connect? I do not plan to release short form content usually. Sometimes it just naturally happens, but it's not something that's really part of a, like a flow yeah. for me at the moment. I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of needs to be to get me to like, I'm at a plateau on my YouTube channel with growth at the moment. And I feel like that might help me break through, Mm -hmm. but I try and have at least one video on my channel every single week. Sometimes it's just a live stream. Other times it's a video that I've actually consciously filmed and had edited and uploaded. But yeah, I like to feed the algorithm weekly. (laughs) (laughs) Feed the algorithm weekly. Keep it fed. (laughs) I think I was asking also too, like the, you know, these are some tips that are, or, um, 
things that we have tried with both creator sessions and with I'm a creator, Mm -hmm. Henry, you can speak to it a little more with I'm a creator, but we have lots of clips, right? That we pull from the main episode. And the reason why we use the clips is because the clips are highly consumable. They're short, they're our favorite parts of the episode. So it might be something that the creator themselves is saying. It might be some tip or trick that is like highly practical for every type of creator that's watching them. And then the ending screen is a lead into the full video, right? Something like that. So I'm just curious if you have like your own funnel like that. Henry, maybe you can speak to what we've done with I Am A Creator, things that have been successful. But when we're releasing content, right, from an algorithm perspective, it's a lot easier like to pull a clip and then have it lead into or even just be like the rest of the episode drops next week or something. So you can leverage the same content and create multiple pieces of content from that one piece to try to fill out your content calendar over time. Yeah, I think that's definitely one route is to create short form content out of the long form content. And something that we're doing with I'm a Creator right now is using stuff that we didn't use in the full film like the full 20 minute film in shorter form content. That's like one to 10 minutes of two to 10 minutes, I should say. And that helps too, because then it sort of like gives some people something that they haven't already seen if they've seen the full one. And also if they haven't, then it sends into something that's new after they've watched the short one. But also something to consider here is I think, yeah, just choose whichever like format or runtime that best fits your create a vision and then find ways to make that work. Because one thing that I learned through creative sessions, as well as um, my own series is that working with, especially working with artists and this form of documentaries that we make, the bigger the artist and the bigger their built-in fan base, the more you know organic views you're going to get. So you don't really have to work as hard. So if you're like long form content, it might fit better to have like a high profile guest on that can pull that content for you. So you don't have to like worry about, oh, making it short so that people want to click on it because people want to watch it anyway. At the time when I made this short documentary about his name is Lee Schwinson. He's um he wrote a book and it became a movie called Mouse Last Dancer. But at the time it was 15 and 15 minutes 40 seconds. That's the longest video that I've made. Put it up as part of the fourth season of my series. But it's got a respectable number of views like 45,000 is respectable, I would say, um, organic or organic. Very respectable. Organic, yeah. 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 And he had such an interesting story and he had an established sort of like platform because of his book and his movie that people watched it. And then, of course, like Ronnie, I made a film about Ronnie. It's like people going to watch Ronnie Cheng. I was going to say, people don't know him by first name basis. You have, well, they do <laughs> kind of, but you have to like elaborate a little bit. Yes. He's on Crazy Rich Asians and he's done a couple Netflix stand up specials. He's on The Daily Show with Trevor. So, yeah, people are going to watch stuff with him anyway. So that you can get away with a longer runtime that way. So thinking about that in that perspective as well is important. That's a really good point. I'd love for Henry, you to talk about this a little bit. Obviously, it's a little bit different with ConvertKit because we both profile creators that we pay and also creators that are customers. So it's kind of different a little bit for us on the business side of things. But one thing that you, one thing that I've witnessed you do And also something that I know you to have done in the past based off of the creators that you have, have had and featured on your series is that you are one of the most incredible networkers that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And you go after people and, and you just brought this up. You said as trying to get somebody on your series that has name recognition. And that really is important, right? To some degree, but you have never been fearful of trying to, of asking right? A lot of people would be like, no, who am I to ask? If I ask, it'll never happen, right? And you've just 
been the kind of the completely opposite. You've been fairly relentless in that pursuit and you really have gone after the right people and people that you're inspired by. I think another person that does this really well is Issa. Issa goes out there and she finds creators that she really admires and she interviews them. And ultimately, the only reason that she gets to interview them outside of obviously her work, but oftentimes they might not know who she is, is because she asks. Hmm. And just by taking that first step, it gets you to a place where a lot of people are too fearful to do that. And then ultimately, they don't ever get the opportunity to interview or film somebody that they respect. So I'd love to hear your experience and suggestions on that for creators that are out there that want to feature recognizable artists. What I've learned is like no one's unreachable. It's And especially once you're in the industry and you know one person, it's just like everyone's sort of connected. So you, you have a line to... If you have good relationships with people and like you're not doing it to cloud chase, like you always have a way to get in touch with someone if you really need to. But ultimately, like I don't really go about it in such a calculated way. Like, I mean, it is consideration, but... Like the driving factor in me choosing who I want to profile is because I like their work and like I connect with them. Like the reason why I wanted to do Ronnie is because he's from Malaysia like me. And then he moved to Australia and started his career in Australia like me. And then he moved to New York. And at the time I hadn't moved to New York yet. So I was like, I really want to do this. His journey sort of mirrors what I I like for my life. And um I want to talk to him. And also like I like his comedy and it's so awesome like a Malaysian Australian doing some cool stuff, right? And I got him right before, like I, we filmed the summer of Crazy Rich Asians. So I don't know if I could have gotten in touch with him after that. So it was just good timing as well. But going at it with like a good reason, or even just because you like people's work, you can just, mm-hmm. to connect with people, you just need to like connect with them, be a friend. Be genuine, yeah. Yeah, be genuine, you know, like don't go in there like with the intention of getting a follow on Instagram or like trading business cards, you know, in the corporate world, I guess that would be the, analogy just going always with like trying with a good reason and wanting to to be homies and that's always just been the way that it's worked out and i've like shot my shot if you will like with people before and like it just doesn't line up because our vibes are different and that's totally fine but more often than not it does align because i connect with their work in some way and there's a reason but yeah it's uh it's just about like building a body of work starting smaller like the first people that i profiled were not this level They've ended up being that level because I was lucky enough to sort of like get them right before they were featured on Time Magazine's website. Well, smart enough. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an intuition thing too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, building that body of work to show that you're not just some random mm. asking for some like random thing. If they can see like, especially people who have little time or like are high profile, they don't just give out their time to people. So to show them that you have that is important. And also I think part of it is like, I have OCD. I've always had OCD. So I'm like obsessive. So when I really want something, I just go after it like like a dog with a bone. So that's part of it too. Very single-minded in that way, which can be bad, but it's also good for reasons like this. <laughs> I love you, Henry. All right. What are our closing thoughts on this? Anything? I would say my takeaways from Henry, uh, partner with the platform that you're building your audience on. Yes. Shoot your fucking shot. I'm going to drop a second F-bomb. <laughs> and... Go after like for long form versus short form, what do you feel best suits the story you want to tell mm-hmm. and the content you want to make and do that mm-hmm. and like make that work and don't do it just because it's a trend. Yeah. The other thing I'll add to this is think of 
like the resistance, you know, that you're facing as mm. a creator and kind of, I don't want to say lean away from the resistance, right. But recognize and feel that resistance when it's pushing against you. Mm. If there's one consistent thing that I've heard from every creator that we've worked with on creator sessions is that the best things always happen and feel most natural. I went to a show on Monday night and Patrick Droney, who's a um, singer songwriter artist, he's opening up for one of my favorite acts need to breathe. I'm sporting their shirt today. Nice because, you know, but anyways, he, he was uh, talking about one of his more recognizable songs. And he said, I wrote this song. It's called call me on your way home. It's great. Go listen to it. But he said, I wrote the song in 20 minutes and it's always the best work that happens that way. Mm. So when you're feeling resistance, you know, like lean into that resistance, not lean into it, but recognize what it's telling you and listen to it. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, well, my only takeaway is that I'm surprised that Charlie was the one to drop F-bombs and not Haley. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> oh, that is a good point. All right, moving on, moving the fuck on. Oh, there we go. Henry <laughs> just wanted to have a turn. <laughs> yes. Henry, would you like to go? <laughs> I'll have to find a spot. <laughs> All right. So, we, a couple weeks ago, Charlie, Miguel, and I went around the table and told a couple of things that we had been proud of, like things that we wanted to celebrate. And apparently, that gave everyone a kick in the but to submit their work. And so we're not going to do that today because we're already at 45 minutes, but we will come back around and do that again because I think sharing ourselves, sharing made it easier to share. But maybe Henry, actually, Henry, you know what? I lied. Call in an audible. (laughs) Henry, off the top of your head, what is one thing? I know Charlie already kind of gave you a celebration, but what's one thing about yourself or work that you've been doing that you would care to celebrate, to continue to- That you're proud of. That you're proud of. Yeah, celebration for yourself. I'm really happy with how like the last rolls of film that I shot on the last creative session that we shot here in Brooklyn turned out. Those were like perfect. Haley and I, we shot at that studio in December and I didn't get those shots right because the lighting wasn't right. But I went back this time with like exactly knowing what I needed to do. And those turned out really beautifully. And uh, I can't wait to post those on Instagram. And it's not really, really. Uh, sorry, I got to interrupt, though, because Henry, I had have to go back and look at my Instagram. I think he DM'd me that it's on Instagram, but he... <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is like a slightly direct quote. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, dude, I was on fucking fire with these. And uh, we (laughs) shot an artist named Leve and he was right. He sent me like seven or whatever of the Hasselblad medium format shots that he, he shot of her. And he was right. He was on fire. They're great. Make sure that you go follow him on Instagram. So that way you can check those out when he does post them. We'll be sure to post them on, on when we release our creator session episode as well. But yeah, that's a great celebration, Henry. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. So for um, our listener shout out, we are going to celebrate Kurt Libby. And this was a really cool one because ConvertKit is tied in here a little bit, but he recently launched a new app called Hunt Mob, where anyone can make photo scavenger hunts. And his proudest part of this is that you can plug in your ConvertKit API key to use the scavenger hunt to directly grow your email list with ConvertKit. So I thought that was really cool. It's a very creative way to grow your email list. I will definitely be checking that out. Make sure that you check that out. It's called Hunt Mob. Photo scavenger hunts are really... Huntmob.app. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Huntmob.app. Photo scavenger hunts are really fun. So I'm excited to check that out. Make sure that you go to check it out as well. And then also make sure, Charlie, if you want to throw up that, since you're in there playing with the things... If you <laughs> playing with banners. <laughs> with banners. A listener shout out form? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. If you want to uh, throw that up. Thank you. Convert K. 
www.henry.at slash listener shout out and tell us about your proud moment. And for Henry's Instagram, just because we didn't say it on the audio feed that had the banner on screen, at HenryZW to follow him. Wonderful. And then finally, um, what we've got next up, we've got Miguel is hosting taking the reins next week. And we are talking about apps that you've never heard of for creators. And I will say, actually, I am so excited for this conversation because the last time that I was at a round, I was actually at a conference with Chris, uh, um, Oh my gosh. Oh dear. You're in it now. Oh, go. Someone call Chris. Yes. <laughs> Ducker. Chris Ducker. Okay. Sorry. Chris Ducker. He has a brand called Upreneur. He's an incredible creator. He's a ConvertKit customer. He's He is best friends with Pat Flynn. They're very close. So you, I'm sure you have seen him on his content. But he had a segment at his conference in London where uh, a creator came up and did a similar segment. And my favorite app that I've ever utilized is Otter for it records and your conversations. And then it are will... you giving away? No, no, no. That's just, this is just, this is just a little sneak peeky, you know, Miguel's okay, the okay. one running the show, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's running the show for this, but Otter was a great app for me that I have gotten so much use out of. So hopefully episode, the episode next week will be a really practical episode where you'll be able to take a bunch of apps and have them help you really serve you and your business and help you create content. Yeah to do all things. So, all right, friends, we will see you next week. Thanks, Henry. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.